because it's something that when you look at that why I don't care if somebody just like called you the n-word which has happened to me you have to have something so strong that that happened like when that happens you say you know what give me some coffee I'm ready like this is what I do what is up people first leaders my name is Chris Lynn and I am your advocate and host for the leading people first podcast where we are set to transform the workplace Make sure you're subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. There has been a lot of growth in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space over the last year. However, many people, like in other periods of growth and opportunity, get into the work for the wrong reasons. This is the reason you need a strong Y and DEI, and this is exactly what this episode's guest helps leaders and businesses do. Natasha Miller is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and the founder of MindFro Travel, promoting humanity through cultural awareness and focusing on showing businesses how to create strategies that lead to more inclusivity within their own organizations. So get ready and let's dive in. I'm very pleased to welcome our next guest, Natasha Miller, and I cannot introduce her better than what August Crenshaw shared with me, who said, there are some who say and those who do. Natasia is a doer. She courageously chose the road less traveled and followed the crazy feeling in her heart that she is destined to be an instrument of change. Those who are crazy enough to believe they can change the world do. Natasia is definitely crazy enough. Welcome to the Leading People First podcast, Natasia. Oh, Chris, thank you for that. I was literally smiling from ear to ear. August is amazing sauce, so I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Well, yes, thank you for taking the time. I'm glad that we can talk uh, because you are doing some amazing work. And that started at the beginning of this year, 2021, where you gave yourself permission to do work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. What is something you need to give yourself permission to do next week? What I need to give myself permission to do is to accept that everybody is not as excited about my mission as Chris is, right? Um, I need to give myself permission to understand that rejection is a part of it. No matter if I'm selling candy or if I'm selling anti-racism and unconscious bias, like regardless of what it is, just having that knowledge that there is nothing in the world that everybody loves. You know what I mean? So that's something I need to give my permission myself to do to like, live in my authentic self, knowing that there are people that are going to see me and they are going to be completely like against what I do. They're going to hate the way I talk. They're going to say I'm too excited all the time. And that's okay. Because that's those people are not my tribe. Those people are not the people that I'm called to serve. Those people are not the people that I need the lives that I need to change as August so eloquently said. So understanding that is a huge thing for me because I have had issues with rejection my whole entire life. And next week, I'm going to change that. Thank you, Chris, for asking that question. (laughs) Sounds fantastic. So what does it mean to you then to lead people first? Ooh, this is a good one. To lead people first is to me to be a selfless leader, right? When When you think about and concentrate on leading people first, then you take the you take all of the 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 look from you. You take that off of you and you look at the people. Like I said, the people that you are called to serve. I I'm gonna, I might say that like more than thrice today because I'm all about that aspect. So when you are leading people first, it's taking taking the 
the vision from, oh my gosh, this is what Natasia does. And Natasia, 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 Natasia needs to get, you know, this much more money or Natasia needs to do this. It's about what does, what do the people that I lead need? And understanding that leading people first also means sometimes it's going to be not what you want, but what the people need. Um, and that can be difficult for leaders sometimes because we know that, you know, there are certain things that we want to do and we want to do this in this quarter and we want to do that and we want to make sure that this happens. And we want to hit this percentage and all that stuff. But sometimes when we are leading people first, sometimes you have to put that stuff at the back burner and put the people at the front because they are first, right? So if they are first, sometimes the budget comes second. Sometimes the bottom line comes second. Sometimes you come second. And understanding that is what makes, you know, a selfless leader. And that's what makes leaders that, that people talk about for a lifetime. Martin Luther King is one of my favorite people that ever walked this earth. And he is basically leading people first. He risks his life for the people, right? He didn't do all of that just for MLK. He did that for an entire race of people. So leading people first is about knowing that it's not always going to be about you. And in that, it's not always going to be about you. Sometimes what you want is not always what the people need. And they are first. Absolutely. Don't put yourself before the people that you serve. And I just want to call out a quote that you used uh, or said a number uh, of months ago that said, or you had said, whatever you do, do it for the sake of the people you are called to serve. And I just, I just wrote it down because I was like, man, that is so, so true. Everything that we do, it's for them. Right. And that's how I know you are a people first leader. So you have gone through, uh, a very, I would say a very exciting life. You have traveled the world. You um, came to the U.S. for school. You were arrested twice in Georgia, went to Dubai, went to China, and now you have started this journey of helping bring awareness and education and support for anti-racism. So what are the big lessons in life that really showed you that you were leading people first? Okay, so the first lesson that I learned that helped me see that I'm leading people first is to look at myself from a place of Natasha is not perfect and being okay with that. Um, that helps me lead people first because then when I look at other people, I also realize that what is perfect to me is not perfect to other people. And I realized that very, 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 very strongly when I was in Dubai. Because when I was in Dubai, I met people from different cultures, right? Different cultures, different backgrounds, different ways of life, different ways of thinking, different philosophies, right? And help, what helped me to lead people first is that understanding that, for example, Natasia lives in the Bahamas. In the Bahamas, there are several people, including my own parents, that had babies out of wedlock, right? And that is considered so taboo in some other cultures. My best friend is Muslim. So in her culture you know, that is like extremely taboo. And in my culture, having multiple wives is extremely taboo. Who's right, right? Who's right and who's wrong? So when we, when we lead people first, it's understanding that people come from different backgrounds. People can both be from Chicago, but their life experiences and upbringings makes their mindset completely different. And leading people first is basically not looking at, this is what my mindset is. This is the life experiences I've had. And this is the culture I grew up in. So if you don't match that, to the exact T, then you are wrong, then you are not right, then you are the person that needs to change and it's not me. It's understanding that people have different, different experiences, like I said, and with those different experiences comes different ways of thinking. That's where we talk about like diversity of thought. 
And being able to embrace that diversity of thought rather than point the finger and say, oh, no, you did this wrong. This is not the way you should be. My mom said that you can't have two wives. Oh, my gosh, your mom is a second wife. She's bad or she's wrong or, you know, your culture is wrong. Your religion is wrong. Not doing that, not basically othering people because of their different ways of thinking and understanding that in the same way that you feel like what they do is not particularly the correct thing through your culture and your life experiences, they look at you the same way and nobody's ever going to be wrong and nobody's ever going to be right at the end of the day. So true. So true. And that really speaks to, again, your work around creating cultural awareness. And there's definitely some terms that are out there and I would love to hear it from you um, about what the differences are between cultural awareness, cultural humility, and cultural competence, because I hear all three of those and they seem to be used interchangeably, but then at the same time, I've heard very different definitions for them. So can you, uh, in your own words and thoughts, clear that up for me? Yeah, sure. So cultural awareness basically is, for me, the knowledge thereof, right? The knowledge of culture, right? I know that there is an Asian culture. I know that there is an African culture. I know that there is a Bahamian culture. But some people, I think the reason that some people you know, use cultural competency and awareness interchangeably is not something that I personally agree with because there's a difference between me being aware that, you know, that there are numbers and being competent that one plus one to the eighth power equals two. You understand what I'm saying? Like there's a difference between like awareness is just the basic, the basis of it is awareness. How being competent in something, like I can know how to like turn the light on, but that doesn't mean I'm competent enough to like, you know, rig an entire light switch. So that's what I think the difference between cultural awareness and cultural competency is. Competency is when you study something. Competency is when you put time, you put effort to get to know something. So when we talk about culture specifically, it's saying that I, I'm not just aware of culture because we all have an awareness. And sometimes that awareness, well, most times, that awareness is also basically intertwined with biases. Competency is basically what helps you to understand beyond that bias, you know, makes you be able to take it to another level of understanding. Like, for example, when I lived in China, when I went to China, for the first day that I lived there, I had a I had cultural awareness, right? I had an awareness that Chinese culture is a little bit different from Bahamian culture. I had awareness that the, about the language to a certain extent. I have an awareness that they are a collectivist culture versus an individualist culture. When I, I gained cultural competency by interacting with Chinese people all day, every day, I gained cultural competency by understanding who they are as people, not the stereotypes that we hear about, you know, the restrooms and the way they speak, which is completely off people. Let me just put that out there. Um, so that's where I think that I'm not completely culturally competent. And I honestly don't think that we're ever going to be 100% competent in any culture, you know, like, because we haven't lived those life experiences. I lived in China for two years. That doesn't make me an expert in Chinese culture. That makes me more competent than the average person that has never lived in China. Yes. So that's that and that. Cultural humility, I think that what separates that, and that's the word that I like to use, and that's the that's what I strive for, right? I don't strive for competency because competency is knowing, right? I can know and still not act right. I can know that, you know, this is the way it is, but still I can do things that are offensive to the culture and do things that are basically 
no, even though I know I can still do things to be harmful to that culture, even though I'm supposedly competent. Cultural humility comes from a place of being empathetic. And I think that empathy, empathy is so important with whatever you're doing as it relates to culture, biases, DEI, everything like that. Like the go-to word for me is always empathy. So cultural humility is coming from a place of, okay, I see you, I understand you to an extent, and I also understand that I will never fully understand you, but I'm here trying to be empathetic and being humble, not coming in there like, hey, I lived in China for two years, I know everything, coming in it with a sense of, okay, I want to understand you better because I want to treat you better and I am going to sit, I'm going to listen, I'm going to receive from you and I'm going to try to be as, as inclusive of your culture, as welcoming of your culture and create as safe a space for your culture as I can because I'm humble in it. I don't think I'm like, you know, the dundutta, <laughs> the dundutta of culture. I think that I am a humble student who just wants to learn, grow and create safe spaces for other cultures. That's beautiful. And I love your empathetic approach. That's something that I personally resonate with and very much appreciate. And there are so, so many different approaches that I find with DEI, right? There's so many different methods. There's so many different philosophies, approaches, and then add personalities on that. Again, you, you come from this more empathetic approach where there's definitely been, or there are individuals who are much more brash about it. So what are your thoughts on anti-racism work holding enough space for everyone's different methodologies and approaches and personalities? Yes, I love this. I love this. So basically, like I said earlier, right, Natasha speaks loud and she's bubbly and she's like ah in your face, right? Everybody is not going to resonate with that. Some people are going to say, I am too loud. Some people are going to say like, how can she smile so much when we're talking about people dying? You know, there are going to be people that do not agree with my methodologies. They're going to say, how could you be empathetic? You know, like all these people, they were white supremacists all these years. We need to take our power back. You know, there are people like that. The way I look at it is that in the same way I was just saying like earlier with the, me being a, a, a product of, of, of uh, not having, having sex out of wedlock, right? And my best friend being a daughter of a second wife. I am not right. My parents are not right, nor are her parents, because we, we shouldn't judge each other in that way. In the same way, um, as it relates to like, there are people that are like, you know what, white people, you guys need to just sit down. We don't want your help because you guys have been oppressing us for years and you better do this and give us money and all this stuff. And like, I don't even want to hear from you. Get out of my inbox. Don't ask me no questions because y'all should have been doing this stuff. Go on the internet and Google. I don't want to help you, but I need you to do what you need to do. There are people like that. And there are people that resonate with that type of, you know, speech. There are people that, you know, like that hard, rough approach. Are, they, are there millions of them? Maybe, maybe not. I know that because I follow some of these influencers that take that path, right? They're not taking a path of empathy. They're taking a path of, we need to take back our power, right? And with that, um, because they have a million followers, they have 100,000 comments, and some of them obviously are trolls, but there are some of them that are people that are like, yes, thank you. I needed to hear this today. I, I, I love your, like, that your harshness, like, I need this. Those people are, those people need those people, right? If they come to me, they would tell me I'm too soft. They don't want to talk to me. Maybe they won't um, be as excited to act because of the way that I speak. And there are some people who are like, you know what? I want to help you, 
but I need help helping you, right? I want to help you, but I need a little bit of handholding at the beginning. I'm not asking you to like baby spoon feed me, but I do need you to lead me, guide me and direct me because this is the first time I'm doing this thing. I've been doing it another way for all my life. And now I need to unlearn all this stuff and I don't know where to start and I'm overwhelmed and I'm underwhelmed and I don't know what to do. And ah, they come to me and I say, hey, chill. Like, let's chat. Let's, let's, let's take it to zero. Okay, like this is a, this is a journey. I don't need you to be like, you know, king of anti-racism on day one. I need you to move, though. I need you to take action, though. I need you to not sit still, though. Yes, read a book, but don't read a book for 17 years and say, I am still in the reading process because that's not how Natasha flies. Natasha needs some action. So um, basically, in the same way that there are business coaches that are different. There are some people that are going to be like, oh, my gosh, Chris is the best business coach ever. I love his empathetic approach. He really makes me feel human. I'm not sad when I go there. I always feel happy when I leave. And it's just because Chris is such an awesome people person and I love his personality. There are other people who are like, I love Benjamin because you know what? Benjamin gets right to the point. We don't talk. We don't communicate. He's just all about the numbers. All we talk about is business, business, business. And I like that because I like somebody that gets straight to the point and doesn't ask me how my kids are. So in the same way, there is people that are going to resonate with that. So in the same way that we are diverse as humans, as it relates to, you know, race and sexual orientation, we are diverse in the way that we like to receive information, the way we like to communicate. And that's why I think it's okay that there are some people that are on more on the harsh side and some people that are more on the empathetic side. I think that the issue comes in when those that are empathetic start to like downplay, like downgrade or like speak poorly of the people that are harsh and vice versa, because then it becomes like an internal conflict, right? We're all wanting the same thing. The only thing I care about is that you're authentic in it. Don't come in the DEI space because it's cool in 2021. Don't come in the DEI space, you know, because you want somebody to see you and you want to be performative. That is not going to fly with Natasha. I have an issue with that. I have a problem with that. And I'm going to call you out on that. That's not, it's not okay. If you do it the other harsh way, okay. If you have people that resonate with that, let them go to you. If you have people that are like, oh my gosh, you're too harsh for me, send them to me. Let me help them, not baby them, not baby them, but let me help them. And yeah, I think that once we don't like try to pull each other down within this space because of our different approaches that we would, it, it's better for the world because people are diverse. The end of my long spiel. <laughs> people are diverse the end absolutely and (laughs) (laughs) you know when we when we look at things like allyship right you know going off of that there is a diverse uh range of not just personalities not just how we receive information and communicate but also our gifts our strengths and how we learn and that is something that i also find frustrating that some individuals say we need you to do like, we need you to go March or we need you to go into companies and do coaching or we need to, right. It's like, again, there's so many different ways to do this, right? My strength, my strength, I think personally is having conversation, right? And, and Natasha's is about, I think yours is drawing people in and having that empathetic approach, right? I mean, Aww. for those for those of you who are listening, you cannot see the the smile on Natasha's face and it's amazing. Literally like the most bubbly person you've ever met. <laughs> um, You're trying to make me blush now, Chris, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and regardless, this is hard work. And you've talked about how some individuals just don't understand how uncomfortable and how difficult this work is. I even think some, you know, for those of us who work in this space, 
we don't always anticipate how difficult it is because people are people, right? Like we're not going to, personalities are different, like you said. So what advice do you have for those who don't realize this difficulty? What would you say to them to push them through to keep fighting for anti-racism and equality? Love that. So let me give you a great example. I'm in this like diversity and inclusion group on Facebook, right? And a lady came in the group and she posted and she was like, hey, I want to start in diversity and inclusion. Can somebody tell me what should be my first steps or like what certifications I should get? Like, where should I start first? And the comments were like 50 plus comments and was people saying like, oh, you should try this, uh, this certain certification. Oh, you should make sure that you connect with this person and this person. Oh, you should start following this person and that person. And I literally came and I was like, first of all, do you know what you're getting yourself into? I'm gonna need you to not just read like diversity and inclusion has been booming and the industry has been booming over the last da, 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 since George Floyd and now XYZ. I need you to understand your why, first of all. If you are doing this because it's cool, if you are doing this because you think it's nice and fun and great and you just wanna do stuff, you should not do this. If your why is not so etched in who you are that when people are, I have people on my YouTube channel that are literally like, um, because guys, I have an Afro. I hope you guys see a picture of me, but I have an Afro and there was somebody on there that says your hair looks like tumbleweeds, shut up, stupid, right? And I get stuff like that. So if you're not prepared for that because you're not selling ice cream, that's what I would tell them. Like, first of all, come to the understanding that you're not selling ice cream, chocolate, love, or money, right? You are not selling like the commodities that people always want and what, you know, everybody else is selling. What you are selling is humanity. And sad to say in humanity, all humans are not like, all humans are not part of, all humans are part of humanity, but everybody that is human is not humane, right? So understanding that and realizing that this is something whereas you have to you have to be passionate about it you can't be halfway you can't be half stepping because guess what not only is that going to hurt you because when those times come when people are against you when those times come when people are in your meetings like oh my gosh I hate being here I don't care about this stuff people are like I don't understand why we need to learn about this I don't want to do this work and then you feel like you're doing it all alone and you're overwhelmed the only thing that is going to keep you is your passion for it In addition to that, if this is not something that you're passionate about, then when you are giving information, because a lot of diversity and inclusion is raising awareness at the beginning stage, like just raising awareness to people. If you are not passionate about it, the way that you raise that awareness is not going to be engaging. So not only you suffer, but, you know, we are talking about leading people first. The people will suffer because they can tell that you don't really care about this stuff. So if you don't really care, why should they? So all of that. But um, the advice that I would give, you know, when those hard times come, if you are a person that authentically cares, right, you authentically care, you are like in this to win it. And you're like, you know what, come rail, rain, hailstorm or hurricane, like this is what I do. When you feel those moments of doubt, when imposter syndrome comes in because you're not getting clients at the rate that you said, because George Floyd is now five years ago and nobody cares as much as they did on May 25th, 2020, you know, like when those moments come, you have to go back to two things, your why. If you have to write your why down somewhere, do that. If you have like five points, these are the five reasons why I chose to do this work. Let them be like reasons that are super, super personal to you. Not like, I want to do this because I want to make the world a better place. That is not like, <laughs> that is not strong enough to hold you during the hard times. You need something like, 
the reason that I want to do this work is one time I saw a little girl and she was black and they and she was in school and I watched her not be able to play a game because nobody chose her and she was the last to be chosen so she couldn't play the game that she loved whatever it is like if you are a woman because you know like whatever if you are a woman and you feel like you have been alienated so you kind of can can understand somewhat to some extent what people of people what other marginalized communities go through then you know use that as one of your whys but make sure that whatever it is it's something that when you look at that why i don't care if somebody just like called you the n word which has happened to me time and time again n word and b word all in one people all in one you have to have something so strong that that happened. Like when that happens, you say, you know what? Give me some coffee. I'm ready. Like, this is what I do. You know what I mean? Um, and then also, again, talking about leading people first, putting your people as part of your why. The people that I, the two people that are part of my why is number one, my clients. My clients are the people that I serve. I love them because they care. So when they come to me, I am not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, like I was talking about that person on YouTube that told me that my hair looks like a tumbleweed and I should shut up. I'm not going to waste a lot of energy on him. I'm not going to go in a back and forth, you know, comment session of, no, it's not a tumbleweed. This is my hair. How dare you say that? I don't care enough to do that because why? There are people like Chris that are out there asking me, hi, Natasia, I want to post this, but I don't know, like, if this is the right thing to say. I want to make sure that I'm being inclusive and I'm making da 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 I'm going to help them. The five minutes that it takes me to help them versus comment on that post, I am going to choose to help those that will help me, right? Because my clients are not just like people that give me money for my work. They are people that are a part of my mission being going, going forth in the world. If I never have clients, my mission doesn't go up because I never teach people how to be better. So clients are my partners, right? Like they are definitely 100% one of the reasons I do what I do because if I needed help in something, I would want somebody to say, you know what? You don't know nothing but I'm going to teach you. All right. Like I want somebody to like be able to take me under their wing and show me the things that I could never learn on my own. Like I can read a dozen books, but there are certain things that you can never learn without having somebody there to really explain things to you on a deeper level. Right. So that's one of the people that are in my way. The other people are my family and friends. You know why? Because they're black. You know why? Because I want them to feel like they're included. I want them to go to work and not have to worry about being called like names. I want them to go to work and not have to worry about whether or not they're going to get the promotion because they're black. I want them to go to Walmart and not have to worry about like a white lady, like clutching their bag and then them being sent out of the store because a white woman feels, you know, feels threatened by their presence just because they're in there. Like I want the world to not reflect what it reflects today. Um, and what has been reflecting for hundreds of years, but now it's just like there's a spotlight on it now. Those are the reasons why I continue. So find your reasons, write them down somewhere. And whenever those moments come, because they will anticipate them, know that, you know, this is not going to be a, a cherry picking session. This is going to be like blood, sweat and tears. There are going to be days that are beautiful days, like Another thing that I do, like one of my beautiful days is when I help a client, obviously, right? Everybody knows that. Like everybody loves transforming lives. So I have this little little bucket of comments or like posts or like think like what August said that you said earlier, like that totally made my day. So when I have somebody like call me an N-word, B-word, I look at somebody else that said, Natasha, thank you so much for coming in and doing that workshop for me. You totally changed the way myself and my team look at anti-racism practices. And I feel so encouraged and empowered to do better. I can't wait to start this journey. And when be were like, go away. Like you hear what she said? Like I have to continue because of people like her. Um, so definitely if you have 
testimonials and stuff like that related to your work, keep them and use them in those moments as well. That's absolutely beautiful. I love that. And you certainly have gone through a lot of difficult times. Um, I, I want to revisit because I think it's a, it's an impactful story about when you were racially profiled and arrested, right? And this happened actually twice. So I'll let you choose which story you want to, which instance you want to tell, but can you tell that story? And then I have a, and I have a follow-up question with that. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell the first story. I'm going to tell the first story. So Natasia is with her mom, right? And Natasia and her mom, I, so I went to university in Miami, got my bachelor's, woohoo, everybody's excited. Natasia's going to get her master's now in Georgia. So my mom and I are in a van, you know, going up to Georgia, doing our little driving and stuff. And I am on, I'm going like basically five miles per hour below the speed limit on cruise control, right? So an officer comes behind, comes up behind me and I slow down because I'm like, obviously he's trying to get around me, right? Um, and I, 30 seconds pass and he still hasn't gone around me. So I'm like, all right, let me pull over. Pulls over and I'm like, okay, mom, get the license and registration ready because you know, that's what he wants. Um, and then, you know, he comes to the window and he knocks like super hard on the window. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then I like screw the window down. And he's like, no, open the door. Opens the door and basically he's pulling me out, arresting me. There's an officer on my mom's side who is also arresting her. And they put us in separate vehicles. And I'm just like, wait, what? You know, um, the officer in my car asked me, when was the last time I smoked weed? And I'm like, let's see, today is Monday, two days ago, Saturday, never, never officer. I have never smoked weed. And then the officer in my mom's car was basically one of the times when we were called an N-word, B-word, because he was on the phone with a loved one. And he said, hey, hon, I have some N-word, B-words that I need to deal with. So I might, I'm gonna come home a little bit late tonight. And then, you know, more cop cars came. I think there was like a total of Five maybe and there were dogs there so they took all of my things out of the vehicle so I have like panties flying to my right and curtains flying to my left and dogs trampling all over my stuff um, and then finally they're like okay you guys need to go to the station so they leave our van there and take us to the station when we get there um, first of all before we get to the station I'm not sure where you live person that's watching this but if you are familiar with those long forest no light roads I want you to envision that because that's what's happening right now. And like I said, my mom and I are in separate vehicles. She is like hyperventilating. She's crying uncontrollably. And I'm just like looking at her helpless because I am not even in the car with her. Whereas I can say like, mom, calm down. This is going to be okay. Like I can't even give her words of encouragement because she's there alone and I am here alone. So we're on one of those like super dark roads, right? And I'm thinking in my head, honestly, people listening, I'm about to be raped and killed tonight. Like that's just, that's just what's going to happen, right? Um, and at the same time, a little bit of a side note, but I'm happy that that I'm not happy that it happened, but I'm happy that that didn't happen like in this era, like the 2020, 2021, it happened in 2012, because if it did happen now, I would have been more so afraid for my life because of the George Floyd's, Breonna Taylor's and everybody else's of today. It's like, it's just so willy nilly for people to die that, you know, it would have made, it would have definitely given me a heart attack. Goes back to 2012. So we get to the station and the officer is like, you're super speeding. You were super speeding and we have to pay a fine of $999. I'm like, that's interesting because I was on cruise control five miles per hour below the speed limit. He's like, no, you have to pay it. Da, 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 da. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm going to take your ticket and I'm going to take it to court. And he says, you can't take it to court because you're an immigrant. I'm like, that's interesting because this Florida license kind of says that I can. He's like, no, you can't take it. You're an immigrant. You're a flight risk. You have to pay this fine now. 
And I'm like, well, I am an immigrant. Thank you for noticing. But I'm also an immigrant that has not one, but two visas, one for personal and one for school. So guess what? I'm pretty legal here. So, you know, like get your life. And then basically he noticed that I understand my rights as a human. So he turns to my mom who is like still crying, still like, you know, breathing, unbreathing in a way that I don't even want to remember, but I do. And he goes to her and he's like, listen, lady, you want your daughter to go to jail? Huh? Huh? Do you want her to go to jail? You see those jail cells back there? I don't want her name on it if she don't pay this fine. My mom is like, just pay it. And she's like crying and stuff. And I'm like, no. She's like, just pay it. And I'm like, no, mom, no, this is not right. And then she gives me one of those like mom looks and I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I pay the guy 990 I pay him a thousand dollars um because fun fact people the reason that they decided to charge us this in my mind is because while they were searching the car in the vehicle in the front in the front seat where my mom was was my mom's purse and in my mom's purse was thousands of dollars what drug dealer money hell no Natasha as the officer correctly said is an immigrant from the Bahamas where she has to exchange from Bahamian dollar to USD so I did the exchange in the Bahamas, which is why I have thousands of dollars in my purse, because it's my tuition money that they just took a thousand dollars off. OK, now back to the story at hand. Um, so, yeah, we paid him a thousand dollars. And then he's like, I hope you didn't want change. <laughs> and then what was traumatizing was going back to the car. And obviously there was like silence for I don't know how long, like maybe 15 minutes. And my mom finally said, you know, Natasha, you already have your bachelor's degrees. We're super, super proud of you. If you want to, we can go back right now, turn this car around and go back to the Bahamas. You don't have to go through this. You don't have to do this. And I'm like, no, but I do because I am not going to allow this experience and these guys to take away my MBA dreams. MBA people, not NBA. I know it's crazy. But yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this because even before I started doing DEI, I've always been like a social justice, like don't let the big kid hit on the little kid. Like, how dare you say that to him? How dare you say that to her type of person? So I'm like, I'm not going to go down like this. So I decided that I'm going to call a lawyer, which I did. And the lawyer told me that the first step would be to go and get a police report. So I have to call the police station, get a report, and then we'll start like, you know, getting into this. Calls the police station and I'm like, hi, this is Natasia. I have ticket number one, two, three, four, five. Pardon me, ma'am. Ticket number one, two, three, four, five. Excuse me, can you repeat that, please? Ticket number one, two, three, four, five. I'm sorry, but that ticket does not exist in our system. Are you sure that's the right number? I'm like, oh, looks like officer one, two, and three took that, split that thousand dollars three ways and went and bought themselves some, I don't know, clothes or beers or whatever they bought. So yeah, so that was basically the end of that story. And then, you know, other stuff happened, jail, shackles, the whole nine, but we're not going to get into that tonight. <laughs> Well, first, thank you for uh, sharing the story. I'm, you know, I know you hear this often, but again, I, I want to extend my own, uh, my, myself extend my sorries because that should not happen. Um, mm. It's completely unacceptable. But the reason I, I want to bring it up is because the more we share these stories, the more people understand that these things happen. These things happen. Racial profiling happens. False arrests happen and we have to do something about it. It's not okay to just sit back and say, well, that's what life is. Like, it's just not. So yes. that is why. So thank you for uh, sharing your story and reliving that. I, I very greatly appreciate it. I also know that you want to talk about something that's very important is internalized racism. So yes. can you share more to those who are listening what internalized racism is and why it's important to address. Surely. So 
you know, internalized racism is basically, you know, when we, it's like a slave mentality, right? So you still look at yourself as less than, and it, it comes in with like self-doubt and imposter syndrome and like things of that nature. Um, but basically it's, it's really, it's tied very tightly to uh, looking at yourself and then looking at like a white person and then saying like, I'm inferior to that white person. So I'll give an example. And that's why like, it was like on top of my mind to speak. I have a, a family member that is the president of an organization, right? And he held a meeting that I wasn't in attendance of. And he is the leader of the meeting, right? He is the president of the organization. And a white woman came into this meeting and she started to just like, you know, like basically derail the entire, the entire meeting. The meeting was about, you know, community efforts and how we're going to get this community together as one and bring unity to the community, right? She's like, oh, by the way, what are we going to do about this trash over here? And what are we going to do about this? And like, you know, he is, well, he's married to a white woman. So she, she would like direct her comments to his wife and like be like, oh, because she like, by the way, you understand this stuff. And she said things like, oh, can you please teach them about what a vice president is and what they should do? And oh, you know, like, I think that you're fine, like, sir, but oh my gosh, you, you were a lawyer, right? So you understand this stuff. And she just kept like disregarding him. And she kept like, just like talking over him and like, he'd be speaking and she just interrupt him. But when his wife was speaking, she did nothing. Where the internalized racism comes in is that he allowed it. And this person is one of those people that's like, he's a man's man, right? So if, if I tried to do that, like, I would be like, you know, I would be six feet under right now. But he looked at her and he's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And when I saw it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is internalized racism. Because he wouldn't, if, if somebody else that was Black did the exact same thing in the exact same actions and belittled him and overlooked him and like made him, literally made him look stupid because He's the president and you're asking if you're asking his wife to explain what a vice president is, literally. So understanding who he is and seeing how he reacts when a person that a non-person of color like speaks to him in such a belittling way and not doing anything about it. I was like, this is slave mentality 101 and it pissed me the hell off. <laughs> yeah, that's something so, so tough. And thank you for explaining it in that way and, and sharing that story. Um, Personally, I'm just like appalled that that happened. And it points out to me, my own, like, as you're saying, sharing, sharing this, I was going through my head. I just started flashing like all these times when I myself deferred to, you know, white people, especially in organizations um, and so that's definitely something that we, we need to think about. And that is where we need to take that power back, right? We need to stand up for ourselves and we need to understand our self-worth because we are not less than, right? So, yes. Couldn't yeah. agree more. Couldn't agree more. And like you said, like, it's something that we don't often think about. And it wasn't it's because I'm in this space, right? Like the average person doesn't see those types of situations and think about that. But like, because I'm in this space and I'm so like cognizant of it, I see it happen and I see it all the time. Like you said, in meetings, like in organizations and stuff like that, like it's just like so much deferring and so much, yeah, I think that's fine. But if somebody else said it, it wouldn't have been fine. So why is it fine when, you know, John Doe says it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So so what would you then say, you know, that for, for those of us who are either people of color or just in marginalized groups, um, 
how how should we do that self-work for ourselves to try and get over yeah. it? Yeah. So so two things. First of all, recognize it. Um, don't just say, you know, like, because I'm not sitting here like, I am so perfect. I have never struggled with internalized racism in my life. I have done it. Like, I have had situations like that, too, where I was deferring and, like, saying yes to this person when I know, like, internally it's a no just because of who they are, color-wise. Um, so what I would say is, first of all, recognize that it exists. It's not something because I hear people say internalized racism. It's just, you know, like it's something that people just say to try to blame white people for stuff. It's not. It's like it's it's not. It's it's a thing. It's a whole thing. So don't feel like, you know, don't feel like it's not something that you should be aware of or you don't, don't feel like it's not something that's related to your mental health because it is. So give it that give it that understanding and give it that awareness that that is it's a thing. It's an entire thing. And then secondly, take small steps. Maybe today you will not stand up to that person in the meeting and say, hey, lady, I'm talking. But take small steps of saying, I don't know if I agree with that. Like being okay, like getting yourself to be okay and actioning that you're okay with not not being okay with something someone else says. Or, you know, like it's not like it's not about being angry or like being forceful. It's about in those moments, like I said, being aware of it and taking a small action towards change. It's not going to happen overnight because it is, it's, it's mental, it's related to your psyche. So it's not going to be an overnight thing, but just take small steps so that you can go from just saying, okay, to saying, I'm not sure if I'm okay with that. Or let me think about that a while, or uh, let me, let me, let me mull over it. Just not like, yes, just not stop, don't, stop being a yes man, yes woman, yes marginalized human. And start being okay with saying, let me think about that more before I get back to you. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Like, you know, little things like that, just so it's not like always deferring, always yes ending, um, but not understanding your own self-worth. And it does take a lot of, of inner work for you as well, because people think that inner work is only for the, the, the person with power, you know, like the white privileged person. It's not only for the white privileged person. We have inner work to do too. And a part of that inner work is, is what I'm talking about right now, which is the internalized racism and knowing yourself worth and being able to walk in it. And when those times of fear come about, we're like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm this enough. I don't know if I am enough. All of those things, recognizing them and nipping them in the bud and like changing the way you speak to. I'm a firm believer that, you know, like words are life and words are power. So when you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm good enough for this role or I don't know if I'll be, you know, fit for this thing. I will be fit for this thing. I have worked for this. I know that I'm good enough. I know that I'm this because, you know, you're just pumping yourself up. You're, you're affirming yourself. You're affirming your self-worth. You're affirming that you shouldn't be deferring and you're affirming that you're good enough. You are good. You are better than, not better than. I don't, I don't propose better than, but you are just as good as anybody else. You know, I'm not like that. Like, yeah, we're better than them. It's not them versus us. It's just us in my mind. Well, yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. I've got like this huge grin on my face right now. Um, so <laughs> Natasha, thank you, again. thank you again so much. Uh, what is the impact that you want to leave on those that you lead? Mm. I want those that I lead, I want to leave the impact of looking at the world through an entirely different lens. I can't, I don't want, because if I just say I want them to like, stop doing X and start doing Y. I don't want that. I want to change the lens that they use because when they change their lenses, they can see clear and they'll make those action steps themselves. Awesome. And I would definitely say you are making that, that impact because Lindy Elridge shared with me that 
Natasha is a game changer. Her mentoring and coaching is extremely effective. She is authentic, transparent, and wise with wisdom and has the know to help others accomplish and find their greatness. So Natasha, thank you again so much. What would you like our listeners to do next? Ooh, listeners, this is so big. Um, What I want you to do is, first of all, now that you've listened to this, whether you are, if you are a person of color or a part of the marginalized community, you know, LGBTQIA, any type of marginalized community, I want you to focus in on the part that we talked about internalized racism and see how that shows up in your life. And I want you to like really start to like focus on different scenarios where that might have come up and start making action steps for yourself to be able to like combat that in the future. That is your homework. For those that are not part of a marginalized community, I want you to listen to all the stuff I said about like, you know, action. I want you to take a decisive action, an intentional action this week. Whenever this week is, I want you to take an intentional action towards being a a catalyst for anti-racism. If that that intentional change is like doing something like, like you were talking about, Chris, like it could be marching, but it could also be talking to somebody about it. It could be this, but it could also be like, you know, making a DEI statement for your company. It could be talking to your daughter about what she thinks about race. It could be so many things, but make sure that it's something that, you know, number one, something that it, it, it is, it's not, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be small, but it's something that you can do and build upon in the future. Those are my asks. Awesome. Thank and follow you. me on everything. Yes. Natasia is amazing. Make sure you follow her. She has a fantastic YouTube channel. So you have to make sure that uh, you follow and watch her uh, content on there. She has a free anti-racism one-on-one training on their uh, course, and it takes less than the time of you watching a Netflix movie. So make sure you go on and watch that as well. Nateja, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for what you do to help people learn how to lead people first. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I love Natasha's approach to DEI and cultural humility through empathy. And to be honest, we could all use more empathy no matter what approach we take. If you liked this episode, click subscribe and hit the share button to send it to someone who needs to hear Natasha's message. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.